0: Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week we're going over UFC Vegas 3, which is headlined by Curtis Blades and Alexander Volkov. Big heavyweight fight in terms of uh, rankings. you know Curtis Blades. He's always going to have to worry about Francis Ngannou. Um, as long as Francis Ngannou is at, uh, hovering around the top, Curtis Blades probably won't get a title shot. Or if he does, it will have to be off of uh, Francis Ng- Ngannou coming off a loss. Um, solid card coming up here. I'm glad that we're we're in the second last uh, week of consecutive fight weeks that we've had now since the UFC's back. Um, very much looking forward to it uh i'm looking forward to that one weekend off just so i can start to catch up again again these podcasts have been coming out later than usual and i'm really stumped about that but uh hoping to get uh, the june 27th podcast uh or for that event that one out earlier than these last two have but uh come you know july 11th which is ufc 251 we should be fully back on schedule we have july 11th july 15th event and a july 18th event so we got again one of those three events in one week uh spurts but uh i'm really looking forward to getting into the tape for those cards and i see a lot of juicy prospects there uh in terms of uh potential bets so uh let's let's go over my last event ufc vegas 2 before we continue on forward with this uh, vegas 3 event uh lock of the night play whiffs on a um, on a stupid bet on my end um you know uh, the, the 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 rule set that i let uh, set out for myself numerous times don't bet on debuting fighters. And now I've had to stretch it to don't bet on a debuting fighter even if it's his, uh, you know, debut against another guy making his debut fuck he just can't can't get it you know christian uh sorry uh, anthony ivy comes in there and looks like uh well comes into this fight uh based on his tape looking like a guy that really uses his grappling very well is able to really close distances on guys uh you know has decent enough striking to close the distance and then get his uh, grappling going and then really start uh wailing on guys wasn't able to do that. Christian Aguilera just said, or Christian Aguilera just said, "Fuck it." Uh, you know, Wong punches for swung punches forward, uh, and eventually caught Anthony Ivey and just put him out. Probably one of the more demoralizing losses uh, of my Lock of the Night plays. I actually had that parlayed with Julia Avila, and I expected Julia Avila to go out there and get the finish. And that probably should have been the lock of the night play. You know, she went in there and absolutely bodied Gina Mazzini the way I was expecting her to. Minus 130 was the inside the distance line, and that probably should have been the bet now that I'm thinking about it. But uh, so half of the parlay hits, half the parlay loses, but that obviously means that the parlay misses. Minus 5 units there. We also had uh, Calvio 0.75 units at plus 265 uh, to win inside the distance. She whiffs on that, you know, she got the positions I expected her to get, but I think it really came down to the strength of Jessica I here uh, as to why Calvio wasn't able to get her arms free uh, to really, you know, start to threaten with that rear naked choke, which I believe was her best path to victory, but it turns out that her wrestling was enough, her striking was enough, uh, and she absolutely put on a clinic against Jessica either. there, and again, just as I said in that podcast absolutely stumped behind the the love that Jessica I was getting going into that fight so um yeah minus 0.75 units there and then uh, one of the dog of the night plays under two and a half on the uh, Maria Agapova and Hannah Cyphers fight one unit at plus 156 love that play I should have went a little bit deeper on that but again hindsight is twenty twenty. we end the event minus 4.19 units the the rough stretch continues uh but I'm hoping to to, to break that cell or spell with um what the event that we have coming up this weekend at ufc vegas 3 overall as a card uh decent spots all around in terms of entertaining fights and fights that have a little bit of a uh, repercussions for the for the division fights that really stand out to me is uh the the debut of max Rosskopf Ra- against austin H- hubbard that's a very intriguing fight um justin jane stepping in on super short notice against frank camacho The return of the Savage, Jillian Robertson. Um, Have a play on that fight. Just continue watching and you guys will figure out what that play is. Love her, love her, love her. Um, Oscar Piotrota versus uh, uh, Marc-Andre Barriou should be a very fun fight. Uh, The return of the Bull, Brianna Van Buren, that's a very fun fight too. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts making a very quick turnaround uh, after his win over Brock Weaver a couple weeks ago. Comes in against a vet now against Jim Miller. That's a great fight. Uh, Shane Burgos versus Josh Emmett is a fire fight. I'm very very excited for that one and then obviously the main event headlined by uh, alexander volkov and curtis blades uh big big stakes in the heavyweight division here um and whoever gets the victory here really moves forward alexander volkov you know only lost against Derek lewis and he was about 11 or 12 seconds away from winning that fight um so uh, a win here could definitely really rise him in the rankings and potentially put him in line for a tighter shot after francis and gets his shot um Yeah, great fight, uh, great great card, uh, solid card, maybe not great card, solid card, uh, and should tie us over until next week, which is when we get Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker, which is just an absolute amazing main event that I can't wait to break down for you guys. yeah, so we'll, I won't keep you guys too much from the for the breakdowns now. Uh, just a reminder, all these breakdowns have been released uh, early for um, my Patreon members. So if you guys want to hit up the Patreon for early access to these breakdowns, uh, again, as soon as I record them, I put them out and I, I give them to my Patreon members ASAP. Um, and then I, bu- I got a bunch of other perks on that as well. So just check the description below of this podcast or this video, and you'll see everything else that you get with my Patreon as well as the Patreon link. So make sure you guys check that shit out all right i'm not going to keep you guys from it any longer let's get into the breakdowns for this card austin hubbard versus max ross uh rocks uh, let's just go with his first name max uh is making his ufc debut coming in as a highly touted prospect who's sitting at 5-0 and currently uh and uh the- the term prospect and heavy, especially, um, is definitely showing in the betting lines. He's coming in as a minus one eighty-five favorite. Um, there has been some action on him to push him to that number, um, and he's five and zero currently. Um, you know, there's a couple fights out there of him, uh, especially that we have on the tape in next that you guys can find out just to, you know, see what kind of fighter he is. But the one thing that's been very uh, obvious <laughs> is that most of his fights don't go that long, so we don't really have a good Um, tell or at least a a good vision on what his cardio could look like because more often than not this guy just goes for it and when he goes for it more often than not he gets to finish Um, the longest fight that he's had is his uh, MMA debut or pro MMA debut where he uh, got a rear naked choke with three in three minutes and 11 seconds into the second round Uh, unfortunately i just was not able to track down any information uh, or at least the the video uh, of that fight so i didn't really see you know what went into that uh, how much he was exerting himself how much cardio he actually used um, and would he have been you know tested uh, the same way that Austin hubbard will be able to test him with the gas tank that he has so um you know when you have these prospects come into the UFC, you need to take into account a lot of different things. Uh, You know, finally making it to the big stage, fighting guys that have, you know, that type of experience, which Austin Hubbard does. Um, You know, there's just so much that has to go into it. Um, that you can't just come onto the scene and assume that you're going to start wrecking house. This might be a little bit early for him. You know, he's 26, 25 years old, um, has five fights under his belt, obviously coming in from a collegiate wrestling background apparently he didn't even like place or anything in the ncaa's but he was just so highly touted and it's kind of showing in his uh in his mma performances uh the good thing about what he's doing and what not a lot of wrestlers do before actually coming into mma is working the hell out of their jiu-jitsu because what good is wrestling if you're just going to lay on top of the guy? More often than not, the referee is going to pull you off, right? So there's not. Um, you need to find ways to, to work from the top uh, to threaten with submissions, to open up uh, guard passes, or to open up any type of pass on the ground any, anywhere. Um, uh, so far, I like what I've seen from the kid. Um, I like that he attacks submissions a lot. He loves the anaconda choke. He loves the darts choke. Um, has a couple, what is he, a rear naked choke, rear naked choke, choke rear naked choke anaconda choke so a ton of submission victories on his record all he's ever won by his submission um so i'm interested to see what uh what he's able to bring to the table against uh, austin hubbard here and in terms of size i think hubbard might have a slight advantage no it's actually it's max roscoff i need to see them like side by side to really determine uh who is the bigger guy but hubbard seems like a big guy in there especially when to when in his last fight against marco madsen now marco madsen silver medalist in uh in, in greco wrestling um you know very strong um has a ton of experience uh but his cardio uh you know lacked in that fight He was able to secure the first two rounds, so it didn't really come into play as long as he was able to just, you know, survive that third round. And Hubbard was really coming on there. You know, great leg kicks, uh, great knees um apparently his nickname dud comes from the the sound that he makes whenever he uh, lands leg kicks in the gym uh and uh, you know you definitely believe it especially after watching that marco madsen fight um you you got to assume it's kind of going to go similar but the the difference here being max uh and his jiu-jitsu pedigree that he has and how he's always chasing submission so um you know, Hubbard's going to have to be very uh, on point with his jiu-jitsu. Uh, he's working over there with Elio Marslow, Cody Donovan, and those guys in Denver. Uh, so cardio on point, uh, solid team behind him too. If he's been working in his submission defense, and we already know his cardio is good, so as long as he's been working in his submission defense and he can stay out of any crazy chokes that Max throws at him, he's definitely a very live dog here. Uh, the, the, the the main concern for me in this fight is we just don't know what the the cardio and gas tank of Max is, especially if it goes over this one-and-a-half mark um you know it burned me last time betting on a, a ufc debutant, even though he fought another ufc debut and i'm not looking to fucking travel down that road one more time um i like i like hubbard here just because of the the versatility that he brings to the game his car his his for sure cardio that we can depend on um uh, a decent uh, handling of how he took Marco Madsen's uh, wrestling. But again, the, the main difference here being Max having a better jiu-jitsu background than uh, Marco Madsen at that time. Uh, so there's, there's just too many unknowns. Uh, I don't find a reason as to why you should be playing Max at minus 185. Um, I think Hubbard has um, some value at the current line he's at. Uh, plus 160. Yeah, I think there's some definite value there. Uh, the under two and a half has possibly live too, you know, in case Max does have an absolutely shit gas tank, uh, and, uh, Austin Harper goes in there and, and withstands the initial grappling, uh, onslaught that he's supposed to be, uh, enduring, uh, and then goes out there and just TKOs, uh, rocks, Ross Kopf. I'm going to try his name, <laughs> Ross Kopf um it's 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 a simple name to say but it's just spelled so weird that it it's kind of just throwing me off a little bit but either way um yeah i think he could withstand it and then finish ross late um but uh, i'll probably stay away from betting this fight um just just kind of sit back and see what kind of game max brings into his ufc debut and i hope that we get to see a full three rounds out of him just to see what his cardio is like so i'm gonna go with hubbard here uh, to win by third round tko but uh, in terms of betting i'm just gonna stay away from this fight and modified. Versus Lauren Murphy. This fight is pretty much out of pick-em. We got minus 115 for Roxanne, minus 105 for uh, Lauren Murphy. Let's start off with Roxanne Ferry. She's coming off that unanimous decision victory over Macy Barber. Um, that was a fight where. Um, you know she came in as a huge underdog uh, and then obviously Macy Barber went on to to I believe she tore her ACL in that fight uh, and she continued fighting so big props to Macy Barber for fighting through that injury but she did suffer her first loss at the hands of a tough veteran in Roxanne Modafferi, who's coming into her 41st MMA fight and that's very impressive uh, at least in women's MMA too she's been around for a long time she actually made her MMA debut in 2003 so she's been fighting for professionally for at least 17 years um and you know she she always has her durability and her experience to lean on uh which is why she's still able to pull off victories in certain fights um you know the Antonina Shevchenko fight that was another one where she was a heavy underdog but she was still able to find ways to get fights to the ground and and really um, You know, make it tough uh, for Shevchenko to get up and and make it a really dirty and grindy fight. Uh, Same thing in the Macy Barber fight, you know, after she was able to uh, or after Macy Barber actually hurt herself, um, you know, Montefiore was able to really take over with her grappling and her clinch game. That's where I think it gets a little bit hairy here for Lauren Murphy, because on the feet, I think that Murphy has a slight advantage um she works with uh the same striking coaches as Derek lewis and i'm not trying to say that as like a a compliment nor am i trying to say it as an insult but uh, i believe his name is bob perez uh crew bob perez i might be off on that uh but uh you guys all know who he is if you guys see him short bald guy with the mustache um But yeah, uh, he's always with Derek Lewis. But either way, uh, it seems like he did decent work with her, especially leading into that uh, Andrea Lee fight. I know it was a close fight, and I believe I scored that fight for Lee. I just can't uh, remember off the top of my head right now but we did see you know when Andrea Lee was actually willing to exchange in the pocket that Lauren Murphy was really sitting down on her shots and landing good shots too she was able to bust up Andrea Lee a little bit uh and it was definitely showing just again due to her striking I think if this fight stays on the feet uh Roxane could be in a little bit of trouble she even though she's been fighting for 17 years it just seems like mechanically with her body or something she's just not able to throw the cleanest or crisper or the crisp strikes um or the technical strikes I should say like it, it it just looks so awkward whenever she's striking which is why she wants to get this fight to the ground asap uh, at least for the majority of her fights that's where she has the most amount of success i believe she'll have the jujitsu jitsu advantage over lauren murphy here um if she could drag this fight to the ground she could definitely make it a long grueling night for lauren murphy but if she's not you know if murphy stays on her bicycle uses her kicks um you know makes roxanne pay every time roxanne tries to close the distance it's going to be a tough tough night for roxanne um i, I the, the fact that the line's out of pick 'em, you know it's it's the, the odds are worthy on either side you got you know the grappling advantage for roxanne modafari and then the striking advantage for lauren murphy um and you guys know me i always like to kind of uh side with the grappler but in this instance man it's it's tough to really uh lean with uh roxanne modafari I'm, I'm passing this fight in in absolution like i'm not even bothering uh throwing one of these fighters into a into a parlay either um like even though that roxanne is the grappler and this fight is that even money and i think that uh, just as good as um i think here we go try to follow along i think that roxanne's grappling advantage is a way bigger advantage than lauren murphy's striking advantage here um but even with that uh it's it's the it's the Closing of distance and getting the fight to the ground, which I have problems with for Roxanne here. Um, again, Lauren Murphy not the craziest heaviest striker either. She does have a finish via punches on her record, at least recently as well. Too, I just want to confirm who that was. Yeah, that was the Mara Romero Barella fight where she just absolutely put it on uh, Mara there. Um, I'm gonna side with Lauren here. I think she does keep this fight on the feet, and I think she makes Roxanne pay the entire time. Um, yeah, I, I got to go with Laura Murphy here. I think she's going to batter Roxanne Matafari on the feet. Uh, stuff takedowns, uh, maybe when the clinch exchanges as well, if this does get into a clinch exchange. But uh, her best bet is to, you know, stay moving. Um, land those big shots, get out of the way of any takedowns coming. Uh, And again, I I don't think that Roxanne is that fast either too. So it should be easier for Lauren Murphy to actually get out of the way here. So I'm going to side with Lauren Murphy here. I don't think she'll get the finish again because I think that Roxanne is quite durable as well too. Um, When was the last time she got finished via punches? It's been a long time since Roxanne. So the last time she got TKO'd, was in 2013 during the Ultimate Fighter Season 18 from Jessica Rocosi, who was a really good uh, boxer coming into MMA. And then before that, she got rear naked choke by Barb Honchek. She got slam KO'd by Sarah McMahon in 2010 in Strike Force, armbar by Marlos Kunin yeah like she is quite durable i'll give her that so uh, i'm going to take lauren murphy to win by decision here um I th- again i just think she has the better striking she'll be able to put it on roxanne a little bit without getting taken down uh and even if she does get taken down initially i think she'll have a decent opportunity of getting back to her feet but i like lauren murphy here um being slightly faster as well too uh so i'll go with lauren murphy to win this fight via decision frank camacho versus justin james justin james is stepping in on quite short notice after um who is Frank Camacho? Oh, uh, Matt Frivola. Before Matt Frivola had to pull out earlier this week due to one of his cornermen, who ends up being Billy Quarantillo. Um, uh, he tested positive for COVID, so Frivola had to pull out of the fight, unfortunately. In steps, Frank Camacho, and we have odds on this fight minus 340 for Frank Camacho, plus 280 for Justin James. A little bit wide, even considering that Justin James is coming in on short notice here. Um, both guys are really good strikers they both have a lot of power i think frank camacho is a little bit more diverse with his striking um i'd be very surprised if either guy actually initiated the grappling here um if anybody i think it would be justin james who's the who is the one that does it frank camacho just seems to have a little bit more of this like striking stand and beg type of pride about him uh compared to most guys but justin james could actually absolutely make things a little bit interesting and he has a ton of power too um you know frank camacho is coming off that loss to Benil Darius last time around was it banil i believe it was Benio. yeah Benio darius was his last uh, loss and that was a fight where darius really came up guns blazing and it i believe it really um surprise frank camacho because he was hitting him with pretty much everything that he was throwing out there and then eventually he opened up his grappling game which is why he was able to secure that rear naked choke victory over frank but i think this fight is going to be more of a stand and bang type of fight if justin wants to get a little bit cheeky here i could see him initiating the grappling but he's gonna to have to eat some shots to get on the inside to actually achieve that um do not parlay frank camacho here this is a very dangerous fight and we've seen the durability of frank camacho slowly start to decline during his ufc career so justin james could absolutely go out there and knock out frank camacho do not i repeat do not put frank camacho on a parlay it could absolutely blow up in your face when he is on like his nick Hine fight he looks unstoppable and he looks amazing but my only concern is justin james has a ton of power and he could potentially land on frank camacho here i think if you're looking to play something on this fight it would be the under we're not a hundred percent yet uh yet in term we're not a hundred percent sure what it's gonna drop at whether a one and a half or two and a half. I sus I suspect it to be one and a half due to the fact that it's minus two seventy for the fight doesn't go to decision uh for this fight. But if it was under two and a half I would probably play the two and a half uh, but uh, I, I just don't see it uh, being at that. I would be surprised if they do it at two and a half. But uh, yeah, Justin James has just absolutely steamed road his last couple of opponents, uh, beating most of them within like a minute or two minutes. Uh, let's just confirm those numbers. Um, a minute and a half four minutes and two minutes so okay maybe i was exaggerating with the minute or a minute and a half but still all first round victories where he just went over there and just steamrolled his opponents uh most of those guys didn't even seem like they wanted to be in there if you guys saw my twitter page earlier i actually posted um you know his victory over devin brown it was a guillotine choke victory uh where he was able to get it from uh full mount but it seemed like the guy just wanted out like it didn't even seem like the like the guy didn't tap and he faked going out to not really you know face the embarrassment of tapping out per se um but uh yeah that, that was a very shifty uh guillotine choke there a five and two record for that guy going into that fight and then 8 and 5 and then fight after that 23 and 13 after that but now here he is finally in the UFC and a t- again stiff test against Frank Camacho here um I will take Frank Camacho to win this fight by knockout uh but again just I can't I can't trust uh Frank Camacho against a heavy hitter here like Justin James um who's been around the circuit for a while too he's 15 and 4 19 fights it's just been a matter of time before he was finally going to be able to get there uh but yeah i'm going to take frank camacho uh but not trusting him at minus 340 i'll i'll stick with uh you know staying away from this fight or potentially playing the under depending on what they release it at but uh, i'll go with frank camacho by second round tko uh but just just stay away from this fight jillian robertson versus courtney casey we got minus 115 on jillian robertson Uh, minus 105 on Courtney Casey and Courtney Casey is uh, making a relatively quick turnaround she just submitted Mara Romero Barella at UFC uh, fight night whatever it was I think it was Vegas 1 Vegas 2 Uh, it was the Wednesday card if I'm not mistaken but um, yeah she she got a three and a half minute uh, arm bar victory over Mara Romero Barella whereas Jillian Robertson is coming off a little bit of a layoff she hasn't fought since October where she lost via punches to Macy Barber who just had the strict and the much better striking in that fight um sorry just getting a couple of these things out of the way but uh yeah she was actually scheduled to fight taylor santos at this card but santos had to pull out and in steps courtney casey uh this is going to be a fun fight regardless um you know uh i like to call julian robertson the the nico the female nico price uh especially of the 115 pound division and i i'm hoping that my mic will pick this up but uh i I really want you guys to hear this this is what she said after she submitted veronica macedo um uh i believe it was her second or third last fight but this is what she said in the post-fight interview so let me just run this six seconds i just i need you guys to hear this So I'm not sure if the mic was able to 100% pick that up, Uh, but what she was trying to say is that in jiu-jitsu, most people go for a position over submission, Uh, but she said, screw that, I do submission over position, which is why she's always, you know, able to get uh, finishes, or she is the one that actually gets finished. And that's why I actually, you know, already went out on a limb here and uh, played uh, my second ever plus money lock of the night play and that's the under two and a half in this fight at plus 119 it's roughly around plus 115 plus 120 but the current run that she's on uh one two three four five six seven eight eight straight uh finishes or got finished and that's including her ultimate fighter stint against barb honchak um but this woman brings it like she makes it known that she's trying to get your ass down and she's trying to go for a submission or she's going to go for a tko like she did against Sarah frota um this this woman is is relentless like If she fails on a takedown attempt, she'll regroup for a couple, maybe 20 or 30 seconds, throw a couple of soft shots, but it's all in due to finally get this fight to the ground. I think she's going to have, she'll be able to get Courtney Casey down and, uh, you know, she will be able to work guard passes and she will be able to get to the positions that she wants. I'm just not 100% sure she'll be, she will be the one getting the submission. Courtney Casey is very good off of her back too. She has really good submissions as we saw in the Mara Romero-Barella fight and that uh, fight against uh, Randa Marcos as well too i believe she caught her with the rear naked choke uh which was just a thing oh sorry that was an arm bar um yeah just a thing of beauty uh with, with her jiu-jitsu too and people can say what they want about corny casey being a decision fighter but it truly comes down to the type of fighter that she's fighting to determine whether she'll be able to get a finish get finished uh or not um you know, Random Marcos is one of the fights that definitely comes to mind here because in that stage of Random Marcos's career, she was fighting the Jillian Robertson way of fighting where she was just I'm going to keep going for takedowns i want to try to you know try to get you to the ground try to ground and pound you try to always go 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 and that's what courtney casey was able to capitalize on and she may be able to have the same success here against jillian robertson in terms of finding jillian robertson slipping uh robertson is just go 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 from the bat and you got to think that's going to have a detriment on her gas tank in that second round maybe even that early third round i don't see this fight going past the second round i think within that you know that 10 minute span one of these women will either be able to get a submission they'll be able to get a tko or regardless be able to get a finish um again you only need one legitimate ingredient in a fight for it to go you know under one and a half or two and a half and in this fight you know it's it's got to be jillian robertson i'm always more often than not i will always bet the under in a jillian robertson fight just because of how she fights and her approach and the reason i call her the nico price of this division is because nico price does the exact goddamn same thing i just want to pull up his uh, uh what his run of uh, finishes currently looks like, but he's always the one get you know, kill or be killed. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven straight. Since he's been in the UFC, has not seen the judges' scorecards. He was very close to seeing the judges' scorecards in this fight against Vicente Luque, in a fight that he was arguably winning. Not saying that he would have gotten the judges not at the end there, but uh he did a really good job in that fight against Vicente Luque. But uh, what I'm trying to get as that get at is that these these uh, nico price and jillian robertson are not point fighters these are okay. finisher the, these are finishers. The, they they go out there and their sole purpose is to try to find the finish. They want to get that performance bonus. And I think that's what Courtney, uh, Jillian Robertson is going to try to do here just against Courtney Casey as well too. And I expect when Robertson starts to slow down a little bit that Casey is going to be able to start to uh, really take advantage, especially when he gets into these grappling situations. I could absolutely see her getting reverse positions and and sweeps and ending up on top and landing big shots from on top, opening up a submission and getting that submission themselves. Uh, but I, I think it's actually going to be Jillian Robertson. I think Robertson is going to be the one that gets to finish. And I have heard the narrative out there that okay, look, you know, you know Claudia Godella, um, you know, couldn't finish Cardi Casey, and she got her down a couple times. The difference between Claudia Godella and Jillian Robertson is the fact that. As I've been saying this entire breakdown, Jillian Robertson is a fucking finisher. She's a savage. She is rightfully nicknamed. Um, you know, Claudia Goodell is just trying to, she's point fighting. She's trying to, she's point fighting and then she's also fighting herself in terms of making sure she doesn't gas. And that's how most of most of Casey Corny's, uh, or Corny, Casey Corny, that, that, that was a weird one. Uh, but that's how Corny Casey's uh, fights kind of go. She fights to the level of her competition in terms of uh, the type of, um, you know, the the type of uh, pace and pressure that they want to bring. You know, Claudia Goodell is not a finisher. finisher. Jessica Aguilar is not a finisher. Felice Herrig is not a finisher. Michelle Waterson, not a finisher. Angela Hill, you know, this is... Angel uh, angela hill pre you know taking every fucking fight not a finisher cynthia cavio a bit of a finisher but she just did not go for the takedowns as much as i thought she would have in that fight she kind of outboxed courtney casey in that fight but she didn't really show that style that she likes to fight which is you know relentless takedowns just as she did against jessica I. um but yeah uh, jillian robertson is is going to be the one she is the main ingredient that we need here to win this under two and a half. So uh, I went four units at minus or at plus 119 uh, on the under two and a half here. But in terms of picking a side, uh, tough for me to say. I, I like Jillian Robertson, I like the skill set that she brings and the mentality that she brings. Uh, so I'm going to side with her. I'm going to say she gets the second round either TKO or submission. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Casey, you know, uh, take advantage of a. Uh, uh, possible gas tank dump on jillian robertson's and and gets that late second round finish so uh, either way uh, i'll go with jillian robertson second round tko or sub uh but the under two and a half that's the lock of the night play for this card oscar piota versus mark andre barrio um, we got minus 120 on piota um and plus 100 on mark andre barrio let's start off with oscar piota uh well both guys are actually coming off with three losses here so you gotta believe that the loser is probably out of a job. Uh, and that's kind of unfortunate. You know, there's been a tough run for, uh, we'll start off with P-Hotel, like I said, Joel Mirschardt in a fight that he almost had Mirschardt finished in that first round. Mirschardt just guts it out, comes back in that second round and gets to finish himself. Uh, Rodolfo Vieira, he did a decent job of uh, surviving on the ground against a high-level black belt in Rodolfo Vieira until he finally got choked out in the second round as well too. And then Punahali Soriano landed a beautiful, uh, I believe it was an uppercut, that that absolutely put out Oscar Piojota, and then uh, Punahale was able to finish him finish him off with uh what's a little bit of ground and pound um pijota is like one of those guys that goes out there and just tries to get the finish you know he likes to empty his gas tank really searches for the finish really likes to squeeze on chokes um and kind of that's a little bit of a detriment to his cardio which he you know probably needs um uh to survive the rest of the run if he's not able to find the finish and that's you know, obvious uh, in his fights against Gerald Mirscherding and and Rodolfo Vieira. In the Tim Williams fight, you know, he was able to get the finish quickly, so we didn't really need to see much of that. And then in the Jonathan Wilson fight, that was one of the few fights that we actually saw him go the full 15 minutes, but I think against higher competition, he would have a little bit more trouble, uh, you know, sustaining that gas tank. Marc-Andre Beriut, This is a guy that I've seen since the amateur scene. When I used to work with the MMA gym uh, back in the day, uh, we used to take all of our amateurs out to Montreal, uh, and they used to have uh, amateur MMA fights on the Native Reserve that's just south of Montreal, and uh, that's actually where I initially saw Marc-Andre Berriot. The next time I saw him was when he fought one of our pro guys, Todd Stout. Um, He was coming up a weight class and actually won the title at middleweight and late heavyweight, so he was a champ champ over in TKO before he finally came over to the UFC and since he's been in the UFC he's on an 0 and 3 run um you know tough losses. The Andre Andrew Sanchez fight uh, con- got completely out grappled there. Um, even in that third round, Andrew Sanchez was just digging really deep to just hold on to Barryud, tried to minimize any damage coming towards him, and he was successful in doing so. Christoph Jarko had a decent performance against him too, and then Junyoung Park, you know, just showed he had great hands, was a more active fighter, and that really, you know, messed with uh, Andre Beriot. Uh I think. The minus 125 on the under two and a half is a little bit interesting here because I feel like Berrio does have the finishing abilities to finish Oscar Piota if Piojota doesn't get to him first. So I think that uh, it's tough to really choose a side here. It might be a dog or pass situation and an even line. I still kind of lean between towards, uh, man, it's tough like you you can't it's tough to back a guy that just empties his gas tank and you know if he's not able to capitalize on the finish uh then it's really unfortunate for him and then the the opponent is really going to be able to take over so I just don't feel comfortable putting my money on Piojota, even though he has a high you know I think he has a good chance of getting a finish early in this fight too uh Marc-Andre Berriu uh again I am slightly impressed with him but not nothing overly um I think if there's a play on this fight, it's the under two and a half. I think either Pijota uh, gasses himself out trying to finish this fight in under one and a half. Otherwise, Andre Berrio he shows he has a decent gas tank. Even after getting grapple fucked by Andrew Sanchez for two rounds, he's still doing his best to stay away. Uh, you know, P- um sanchez did a really good job of stifling uh Beru in that third round i think p hotel will have a tougher chance or a tougher time doing the exact same thing that andrew sanchez did uh and i think sanchez is the better wrestler the stronger guy too so i think he was able to impose his well a little bit better than i believe oscar will be able to so um in terms of picking his side i'll go with barryu here probably to win by second round tko or third round tko um but yeah, the under two and a half is probably the play here. Uh, in terms of picking a side, gun to my head, I'm picking Barrio, But uh, this fight's going to be a pass for me. Tisha Torres versus Brianna Van Buren. We got minus 225 on Brianna Van Buren and plus 185 on Tisha Torres. Let's start off with uh, the the UFC sophomore in Brianna Van Buren. Uh, she's coming off a big victory over uh, Livia Hanata Souza last time around. She's actually scheduled to fight Hannah Cyphers back in uh January, but Van Buren had to pull out due to injury, uh, but here, he is, here she is stepping in against Tisha Torres, so uh, Brianna Van Buren training out of AKA, uh, probably one of the smaller women in the division too, so luckily for her, she's going up against another smaller woman in this division, and Tisha Torres, and I think both both of these women would, be very, uh, would benefit very much from a 105 pound division, I keep harping on the 105 pound division whenever we talk about these smaller ladies like Hannah Cyphers, like Brianna, like Tisha as well too, too. but uh I'm, I'm intrigued to know if tisha would even be able to make 105 that girl is thick like T H I C C C. thick boy bike club move over we got tisha torres here she she is cut and ripped like a motherfucker but uh, and that definitely translates into translates into her strengths as well too so brianna van buren we know that she likes to have um a grappling centric game plan uh she likes to close the distance uh try to lull you into thinking that it's going to be a striking battle and then she runs a blast double um and she more often than not she lands those um she has had issues in the past in terms of getting women down uh notably amy montenegro which was actually her last mma loss um you know in that fight she had a lot of trouble getting amy down uh and amy was just a bigger fighter too um my my concern here is wondering if um If Brianna is going to have trouble overpowering or getting Tisha Torres down. I believe she will be successful in getting her down. My concern is whether she'll be able to hold her down. And then if she's not able to hold her down, is she going to be able to take the striking of Tisha Torres? And Tisha is a very quick striker, and Brianna Van Buren is getting better in the striking realm. Like every fight, we see a more improved version of her striking game, and I think that's something to continue to, to look at and, and know that on a fight-by-fight fight basis, it's something that's going to continue to get better. But I, I, I still think that Tisha has the slightly uh, smoother hands, the crisper hands. Um, I'm not sure... I highly doubt this fight's gonna go to a finish. So uh, you know, bo- both women don't really pack too much of power. Uh, but again, their speed and and timing is actually pretty good. Um, I, again, I give the slight advantage to Tisha Torres on the feet. Brianna is still like, you know, she's still a bit of a work in progress, and she's not complete dog shit on the feet. I'm not. I'm not saying that in any means. Uh, she does show good combinations. She does show a good. Um, uh, you know morphing her striking into a grappling she does very well in terms of like throwing one two uh and then just switching it into uh or changing levels and then switching into a takedown she does a really good job with that um you know i am kind of high on her um but in this spot i'm a little bit skeptical like i i, I don't know what to really expect from tisha torres who herself is coming off a pretty crazy stretch right now uh she's coming off of four straight losses but we're talking about three of the top women in that division too, uh, and one of them who's possibly gonna be t- fighting for a title soon. You're talking about Jessica Andraj, who went on after that to win the title. Yoanny Yanjachek who is coming off her title losses and all that. Um Wally Zhang, who is now the champion, and then Marina Rodriguez who, you know, she I believe she has a main event coming up against Carla Esparza, and if she's able to get past Carla, you know, it's pretty much the top of division for her. Uh, So, you know, Tisha has been fighting really, really good talent, and that might be actually taking away a little bit of the the love for her from a lot of people uh they see that she's just on a four or five winning streak and she doesn't really have her shit together and then on the other side they see a young hungry uh, prospect on the rise going up against uh you know a perceived vet who's on the decline and i'm not 100 behind that you know she did show good uh exchanges in her marina rodriguez fight uh she did very well against uh, not very well but she did well enough against the now champion wiley Zhang. Um, you know she's able to get her down a couple times right out on top um i'm intrigued to know what brianna is like off of her back um you know her jiu-jitsu is a little bit of a work in progress still too um i think tisha would be able to overpower her uh probably if this fight even takes place in the clinch position against the cage i could see tisha being the being the stronger fighter here um i, I don't feel comfortable laying the money on uh brianna at minus 225 and again this was another fighter that i was coming into this fight thinking that i'm going to possibly play them as the dog of the night play or sorry as the the lock of the night play not happening I, i'm not i'm not confident enough i even came out on the other side thinking that i might make a little bit of a play on tisha torres um again i, I gotta i gotta really consider it i, I i'm not 100 sold on it uh, part of me kind of likes jim miller a little bit better um but yeah I, I think tisha has a solid chance here if she's able to keep this fight on the feet uh she should be able to land the stinging shots the the, the crisp shots the quick shots um and she could you know kind of output her way to victory here, but it all comes down to her stopping the takedowns. And, um, you know, I could see Brianna landing the first couple, but after that, you know, Tisha should be able to um, really get it together. And I think her, her her grappling statistics or her takedown statistics are drastically skewed due to her fight against Jessica Andrade, who was obviously the, the stronger fighter there. She was able to doll Tisha Torres in those situations. I don't know if Brianna will have the same success in doing the exact same thing, um or you know be able to land 10 takedowns in one fight against Tisha Torres um so that's where that's where it comes uh where where the questions start to come and I need to see a little bit more from Brianna especially at this level you know Tisha Torres is I hate to call her a gatekeeper because I know I I believe she's talented uh but at this point in time she's kind of the gatekeeper in terms of seeing which prospects are going to be able to get past her and those prospects could go on to do bigger and better things in that division so Just to go out on a limb here, I'm going to go with Torres to win this fight by decision. Um, again, I really wanted to pick the bowl, but it's tough. Uh, I need to see a little bit more from her. She looked really good in her last time around, but I don't want people to get sucked into that Thai Leo. I, I call it the Thai Leo effect, where, if you guys remember, Khalil Roundtree comes in against Eric Anders after a, a training camp in Thailand, and he absolutely, like, kicks the shit out of Eric Anders and finishes or uh, not finishes him, but, like, puts on an absolute 15-minute beating on him. And then he comes out, comes out in the next fight, gets wrestled... F- not wrestle fuck but wrestled by ian kutalaba and then gets uh, i believe he got tk out in that fight so i don't, I don't want the, I, that's why i call that the Leal effect you need to be sure that this is the fighter that uh, you believe you're betting on um So, maybe after this fight, I'll be a little bit more of a believer in Brianna. Uh, but as of right now, I like Tisha Torres and I'll take her to win by decision. But uh, yeah, it's it's dog or pass here, in my opinion. Dog or pass, not 100% sure if I'll actually be placing the money on Torres here, uh, but I will take her to win this fight by decision. Bobby Green versus Clay Guida. We got minus 250 for Bobby Green, plus 210 for Clay Guida. Let's start off for Bobby King Green. He's coming off of two losses to Francisco Trinaldo and Ricard Close, both decision losses, um, and that's kind of where his uh, the detriment in his skill set comes. It seems like he's a little bit too uh, content to go to a decision in most of his fights uh, because of his lack of output. And that's what's concerning. It's sometimes because uh, he has all the skill. His, his striking is great, um, his durability is great. Um, he got knocked out by Dustin Poirier way back in 2016. But, uh, you know, he's shown a great chin in for the better part of his career. But the only thing has been it just his, uh, again, lack of. Uh, f- Fight IQ slash lack of really wanting to put it on his opponents, uh, and that's where I think at this matchup against Clay Guida uh, gets things a little bit skeptical. Because skill for skill, I think Bobby Green could absolutely beat uh, Clay Guida here, and he is the better fighter. But it comes down to what the judges see, and what the judges see is a lot of movement from Clay Guida. If he's able to stay away from the big punch and and maybe. You know, really rely on his chin a little bit here, just to land a couple of shots and get out and be the one that's actually giving more output here. Clay Guida could absolutely win this fight. Um, again, it's hard to trust Bobby Green, especially at that minus two fifty price tag, because you're banking on him to show his skill set and then you know add the activity and output to it as well too. Betting on Bobby Green here, you're probably expecting him to get the finish, even though most of his victories have now come by decision. You you got to think that um you know he's gonna want to win this fight by finish uh like you can't leave uh most of his fights have been really close again like I've said but when you're talking about a cardio machine like Clay Guida an output machine like Clay Guida uh, at plus two ten that's a very intriguing price tag this guy could absolutely steal the fight in the judges eyes if it reaches the the scorecards so um you know the movement in clay guida you can say what you want about his deterring uh durability as well too and that jim miller fight he got cracked he cracked jim miller and then he uh, in turn got cracked himself and then ended up giving up a guillotine choke there but the, his loss before that was uh charles Oliveira, which is nothing to really sneeze at uh before that brian ortega again a very tough one uh tiago tavares dennis bermudez chad mendez gray maynard ben henderson he's losing to like decent and legit guys Thiago Tavares had a, a rough stretch in the UFC at a certain point but that guy was very talented as well too um, wins over Hatsu Hioki Tatsuya Kawajiri Robert or Robbie Peralta Eric Ko, Joe Lozon BJ Penn you know the BJ Penn one I'll kind of just write off but uh, I think that Clay Guida still has some fight in him and again he always makes fights interesting with his output and his, act, and his activity and I expect this fight to go to a decision and in that decision I'm going to pre-fight I'm gonna lean with the guy that has the higher output has the better cardio has okay maybe not he he definitely has the better cardio but I'm not sure if that's gonna mani- amount uh, or mean as much in 15 minutes than it would in a 25 minute fight but I will still give him the cardio and output uh, advantage here over Bobby green I love Bobby Green striking he could absolutely clip clay Guida on the way coming in here but again lack of urgency at times is very concerning for bobby green so if you're putting the money on him i think you're kind of expecting him to get the finish and if you don't see him being able to get the finish in this fight you you gotta side with clay guida so i'm gonna actually go with clay guida here that's gonna be my underdog pick he might even be a bet as well too i think he holds a ton of value at that plus 210 line especially against again uh, a fighter that lacks a lot of urgency in bobby green so i'm gonna go with clay guida to win this fight by decision uh you know just combinations, uh in and out movement. Uh I'm banking on him to avoid the big shots of Bobby Green. But if Bobby Green really doesn't put it together, uh he's gonna let the fight slip away from him just as he did his last two fights. So I'm gonna go with Clay Guida to pull off the upset here. Uh and again plus two ten crazy line. So I I might actually be placing a bet on that myself. Jim Miller versus Roosevelt Roberts. We got minus two fifty on Roosevelt Roberts and plus two ten on Jim Miller here. Let's start off with Jim Miller. Um, vet of the UFC game. We obviously know that he's been around for a long time he holds one of the records in terms of uh you know most ufc fights i believe it may have been overtaken by cowboy sorni at this point but this guy is definitely up there in terms of the amount of fights he's had in the ufc uh he's currently coming off a loss to scott holtzman last time around where holtzman was just a faster quicker striker was able to evade you know any of the jiu-jitsu game that jim miller was going to try to implement there um and then before that uh miller was actually coming off of two victories one over jason gonzalez Rear naked choke and then one over uh clay guida which was a 58 second guillotine choke um after he had hurt him he got hurt first and then he hurt clay guida and then he was able to uh latch on to that guillotine and get the choke there and this fight he comes up against a young up-and-comer who has a ton of potential and uh i believe that uh the potential that roosevelt roberts brings uh the the parts of the game that he is still a little bit green in, and possibly possibly needs a little bit more uh you know work to do uh is his grappling you know his grappling has been quite good in some of his fights and especially when he's the one imposing it himself uh but when it's uh, uh opponents imposing it on him uh his takedown defense just doesn't seem the greatest. Um, You know, his hands are going to obviously be more crisper. They're going to be faster. Um, He has great straight shots down the middle. It should definitely give Jim Miller problems. But if Jim Miller starts to initiate the clinch and starts to go for takedowns, uh, it it could get a little bit fishy for Roosevelt Roberts. Let's just take into consideration that Roosevelt Roberts has only been training in MMA for the last three years. Three years ago, let's take this into context. Jim Miller was on a four-fight losing streak to Dustin Poirier, Anthony Pettis, Francisco Trinaldo, Dan Hooker. And since that time, he how many fights has he had since 2017? Let's see. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine fights. And Roosevelt Roberts is coming in with about 11 fights in that amount of time. Uh, and then, you know, that's nine out of uh, how many fights? 35, 45 36 fights 36 fights before that that jim miller had in experience and especially most of them being in the ufc as well too so that's something to to really hold his hat on um i think the line is a little bit too wide you know going into this i was really thinking that i was going to be making roosevelt roberts my locker the night play but it's hard to 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 do that when you know when you see a little bit of a, a chink in his armor especially a chink in his armor that jim miller could possibly um you know exploit and we know how high level his jiu-jitsu is i don't think that roosevelt roberts's jiu-jitsu is at that point yet uh so if this fight does find itself on the ground i think he's going to have a lot of trouble there um my only concern here with Jim Miller is, you know, being able to congl- to close a distance properly, uh, without eating too many shots, without getting put out. You know, Roosevelt Roberts definitely has some pop on his shots. Um, yeah, at plus two ten, man, it's hard not to not to want to bet Jim Miller here. Um, you know, there's a lot of other dogs on the card that are barking. We got Tisha Torres, and then. Um, there was one more. I'm like, oh yeah, Clay Guida is another one too. Uh, but I think that uh, all three of these dogs hold some value, and Jim Miller uh, is kind of leading the way for that for me. Um, you know, we saw Vince Michelle go out there and give Roosevelt Roberts his first loss. But Michelle is obviously a bigger, stronger wrestler, in my opinion, than than uh, uh, Jim Miller. But I think that Jim Miller is just like tough and gritty, and that he could, uh, you know, be able to eat a couple of the first shots from uh, Roosevelt Roberts just to close the distance, start to clinch up, and get to drag this fight to the ground where he's going to be a little bit more comfortable. Um, you know, I still need to see a little bit of improvements in Roberts's game in terms of his takedown defense, and you know he has done good jobs in terms of you know um, uh, reversing positions and 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 uh, it getting up from his back. He had a ton of success against Alexander Yakovlev, which I believe was his first fight back from that loss that he had, or his first professional loss to to Vince Pacheco. Uh, so he is definitely working on his game. But man, like, plus like 210 on a, a gritty vet like Jim Miller, who could exploit the weaknesses of Roosevelt Roberts, it's, it's very, very intriguing. So I am actually going to side with the dog here. There might be a bet coming in on Jim Miller from my end as well too. Uh, but yeah, I really like... Uh, I, I like jim miller here i think he's going to get roberts down uh and i think he'll find the choke um so i'll say uh first or second round jim miller via choke um you know roosevelt roberts in my opinion is a little bit too big of a favorite here um yeah it, it's it, the line should not be this wide in my opinion lyman good versus Bilal muhammad we got minus 115 on remember the name and plus 105 on lyman good um Let's start off with Bilal Mohamed here. He's coming off of two victories over Takashi Sato in a fight where he was able to get the rear naked choke at UFC 242. That was a big win for him in front of the Abu Dhabi crowd. And then uh, Curtis Milner, he was able to to pretty much grapple fuck him that entire fight. Uh, You know, Milner didn't really have anything off the ground, um, wasn't able to really establish much on the feet. uh, And then Bilal Mohamed was able to grapple his way to victory there. And then the fight before that, um, a loss to Jeff Neal, no, no, you know, you can't really uh, be too mad at that. De- Jeff New is on a huge rise right now in the UFC. um and I th- I'm looking forward to seeing what he has uh, in his future fights <clears throat> Lamin on the other hand, is coming over a beautiful win over chance from Country, where he was able to get a a late finish in the in the third round. Um, but before that, he got rear naked choke by Damian Maya. Before that, he absolutely put out Ben Saunders, and then the fight before that, he got slightly outstruck by Elisio Zaleski and lost a split decision there. Now, here he is against Bilal Mohammed, and this is a very intriguing fight on both sides. Uh, Lyman Good, obviously a very, very good Muay Thai fighter, uh, trains with uh, Tiger showman and that crew over there, uh, and they have a really gifted athlete here. Um, say what you want about uh, his physique, it's clear the guys on something it's you know he's getting by you so i think he has gotten uh caught in the past before but whatever he's doing right now good for him you know that is the 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 absolute pinnacle of a male physique if you show that to anybody i think the rock would even be um you know uh jealous of what uh Good's working with here but uh you know i think he'll have the strength advantage here um the main thing for him is gonna have to be his uh his cardio as long as he keeps that in check he should be able to outstrike Bilal Muhammad here and he should be able to keep this fight on the feet too um I think Bilal is really going to have to count on his durability in this fight because he's going to eat a lot of shots from Lyman Good and I think that he's going to try to continuously close the distance and try to get this fight to the ground but I don't think that he's going to be successful in doing so. I think that uh, Lyman Good will be able to to shuck off and, and really, um, you know, defend takedowns early on and then land big damage in return and it's really going to deter Bilal Muhammad from closing distance later on in the fight. Um... You know the the crisper striking is obviously Lyman Good. Uh, he has years of experience st- just strictly striking. Uh, Bilal Muhammad has gotten away with his durability in certain fights, but Vicente Luque, Luque was able to put him out just clean. That was one of the crazier knockouts that we've seen. Uh, Jeff Neal, I was surprised he wasn't able to put him out, but I think that Lyman Good probably has the best chance now in terms of putting Bilal Muhammad out, and it hates and I, and it, sorry it pains me to. Uh, to say this against Bilal Muhammad because I think he has a great style. You know, if he's able to withstand uh, big shots from Lyman Good, he should be able to make this fight a little bit dirtier, a little bit grindier. He should be able to get Lyman Good down. Uh, You know, but I think his main path to victory here would have to be pushing Lyman Good up against the cage, uh, kneeing him, sucking out the power of him. Um, But I I find that hard to believe with with how Lyman Good has looked. And... Say what you want about Damian Maya being Lemon Good. Um, you know, Damian Maya is just a wizard when it comes to jiu jitsu, or even if you let him just get his arms clasped around you, you're going to find yourself in a submission somehow, some way. Unfortunately, unfortunately for Bilal Mahal Muhammad. <laughs> Bilal muhammad he uh doesn't have that good of uh, uh jiu he has good wrestling you know he has he, he does a good job in terms of mixing his striking with his grappling but i think he's going to have a little bit of a harder time doing that to Lyman good here <clears throat> i expect Lyman good to you know initiate kicks often uh keeping Bilal that range i think he's going to have a little bit of a a height and reach advantage here we got 5'10 71 inch reach for Bilal uh six foot 73 inch for Lyman Good so not the the crazy biggest uh size discrepancy there but still a little bit of a, a size advantage for Lyman Good here um I'm kind of expecting a, a knockout for Lyman Good and even if he doesn't uh you know if, if that doesn't come to fruition I could absolutely see him um you know outstriking Bilal Muhammad for two rounds here at minimum As long as he's able to keep it on the feet, as long as he doesn't blow his gas tank within a round, he should be good to win at least two rounds and then, you know, really shuck off any type of submissions or TKO potential uh, for Bilal Muhammad in round three. So I like Lyman good here. I'm going to take him to win this fight. Uh, I'll probably even take him to win this fight by first round KO. Um... And I like him at the plus money that he's at, too. He might actually be my dog of the night play year. Uh, plus 105, not the hugest underdog, but still somebody that I believe has a lot of potential as cashing as an underdog here. So um, I'll go with Bilal, uh, sorry, I'll go with Lamingood uh, to win by 1st round KO. Uh, yeah, tough, tough night for Bilal Muhammad. But again, if he's really able to get that clinch game going and that that wrestling game going, uh, it could be a long night for Lamingood as well, too. But at the close odds here, I got to kind of side with Lyman Good as I believe that he'll have the huge striking advantage and obviously power advantage and strength advantage, uh, albeit for maybe a around and a half or so. But it should uh, be enough to allow him to get a first round TKO victory uh, over Bilal Muhammad here. Raquel Pennington versus Marion Renault. We got minus 185 for Raquel Pennington. Plus 160 for Marion Renault. Let's start off with Marion Renault here. She's coming after a loss to Yana who did a really good job in terms of keeping the distance against her. And then whenever they were in clinch positions, she did a really good job in terms of overpowering her and making it a longer night for Marion Renault. That fight did end uh, in that third round. with marion renault really putting it on yana kunitskaya and really busting up her face and when you kind of see the judge's decision and you you see both women you're like okay the girl probably who doesn't have a bust up face is probably the one that won but um you know that's where like 10 nines and 10 eights really come into consideration i'm not saying that that round was a 10 eight for marion renault but uh aesthetically you can't really uh be making judge calls or anything off that based on how a fighter looks at the end of a fight um but yana kunitskaya did a really good job with their striking there um before that, she got out Wrestle and out grappled by Katzenhano, and then before that, she was able to do, pull off a triangle choke against Sarah McMahon. Mary Renault is a woman that I, I kind of, I kind of like, uh, in terms of, uh, whenever she's an underdog, I think she's always a live dog. Um, you know, she has decent striking. Uh, I believe she has a black belt now that her topology picture actually has her as, as a with her brown belt getting awarded but she has really good jiu-jitsu um in terms of getting the fight to that realm is kind of skeptical uh, you know it's kind of iffy whether she'll for sure be able to get it there um but uh that that's where i think that raquel pennington actually has the advantage when it gets to the the striking realm i i you know Ricardo Pennington is not anything crazy good, you know. We saw her fight against Amanda Nunes, and obviously it's Amanda Nunes. That woman is probably the greatest woman of all time, uh, great, greatest woman fighter of all time, I should say. Uh, and she got absolutely outclassed there. Jermaine Duran, absolutely outclasses her on the feet there too. Uh, in the Irene Aldana fight, who you know she is actually supposed to be headlining against Holly Holm in the coming months. Um, she did a decent job of of uh nullifying uh. the 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 striking and the reach of irene aldana um you know aldana obviously had a a a reach advantage going into that fight um but she was whiffing on a lot of her shots because Raquel pennington was moving very well um she was really uh evading the shots well too and then she was able to counter effectively as well too once uh, irene was actually very close to her and uh, within striking distance so she has decent fight iq um decent hands obviously that's where her she she makes her her most money is is when she's able to utilize her striking uh she does decent in the clinch game as well too and i think that she might have a little bit of a power advantage and size advantage and and strength advantage against marion renault here so i wouldn't be surprised if we see her kind of um do what holly holm did to her which was you know just push her up against the cage make it a tough fight dirty boxing knees inside um make it make it really tough for Marion Renault to one get a takedown which I don't think she'll be able to get and two, you know, be effective on the feet. Um my only concern here though is it's minus one eighty five for Rick Al In my opinion, that's too wide of a line. Um I think that uh she will win this fight. I think that she'll win it off of her striking. She'll be able to move again move effectively, use her hands in and out. Great counters as well too. Uh again Marion is a, not super green on the feet, but um she could use some work and I think that Pennington would be able to exploit uh the the striking advantage here. Um but it will get a little bit hairy if this fight somehow hits the ground. Um I'm not completely counting that uh, scenario out, which is why I'm not comfortable on at playing um Raquel Pennington at the minus one eighty five line that she's currently at. Um but uh yeah, just just man, it's it's tough. Like she's ten and eight um she's a a middle tier fighter at this division and marion renault just hit 43 years old too so she's you know if she's going to start showing any signs of decline it might be this fight um obviously she's already coming off of two losses as well too so maybe she's already on her decline um but yeah, this fight's a stay-away fight for me. If I'm going to lean one way, I'd probably go with the value side, which is Murray and Renault. Uh, so if you want to bet this fight, Renault is probably the side to go. Uh, but in terms of picking, I'm, I'm going to go with Pennington. I think that she'll... Uh, pretty much strike her way to victory i don't think that we're going to see a finish here unless it's renault getting this fight to the ground and pulling off a submission of some sort but i like pennington uh she has great cardio too you know training over there in denver um solid cardio she's always shown solid cardio in all of her fights um and if she's able to put on a bit of a pace and pressure on marion renault she could probably break her uh midway through the fight uh but still i see her going taking this fight to a decision and winning this fight via um yeah via decision Shane Burgos versus Josh Emmett. We got minus one forty on Shane Burgos and plus one thirty on Josh Emmett. This is the main event of the evening. Um, let's start off with Josh Emmett first and foremost. So uh, he's coming off a victory over Mirsad Bektik where he was able to just plant him on the belt with the power jab and then got some ground and pound off after that, uh, which kind of really cemented Mirsad Bektik's decline for good. Um, I believe Bektik actually ended up losing to Danny Yeh after that. But anyways, uh, before that, uh, we had Josh Emmett fighting Michael Johnson in a fight that he was kind of getting lit up on the feet and then, you know, was able to to find that big overhand right at the end uh, and I, able to, to to put out Michael Johnson there. And then in the fight before that, he had a very, very bad fight against... um against jeremy stevens where jeremy stevens was able to put him out and actually made him uh pretty much um you know useless or uh, not even useless i just mean like he he didn't have a fight for at least a, a year and a month after that uh because he sustained so many injuries off of that one knockout um in the michael johnson fight i pulled up the stats here i just wanted to see this one sec um it's interesting that michael johnson only landed 24 significant strikes over that roughly 14 minutes before he finally got knocked out um one thing that was pretty evident in Josh Emmett's early UFC career is that he really liked um, you know, going for the takedowns besides that John Tuck fight. He landed eight takedowns in that Scott Holtzman fight, um, but then landed one in the Felipe Arantes fight. But since then, it seems like he's fallen in love with his striking. He was able to knock out Ricardo Lamas. Um, obviously got knocked out by jeremy stevens knocked out michael uh, johnson and knocked out um mirsad bektik here he's going to have a little bit harder of a time trying to knock out shane burgos who in my opinion is the far superior striker probably the best striker that he's faced till this point you know jeremy stevens is a decent striker but shane burgos has this different muay thai about him a a different type of power and a different type of killer instinct Um, and his size and his strength really uh, gives issues to a lot of guys too so um, in terms of the the reach advantage i believe Burgos has a slight reach advantage 75 and a half inches for Burgos 70 inches for uh Emmett uh Emmett standing at 5'6 and we have 5'11 for Burgos so he'll have a pretty sizable advantage no pun intended um so uh, especially on the feet too I think that he'll be able to light up Josh Emmett on the feet and we've seen that in the past before where Emmett has kind of gotten lit up on the feet but then he, he kind of relies on his power a little bit too much I'd be surprised if we didn't see Ahmed go for takedowns in this fight, as I feel like that could be his path to victory. Um, in Shane Burgos' last fight, we saw against um, Maquan Amerikani You know, Amirkani had a little bit of success whenever he tried to initiate the clinch or even takedowns. He was able to get Burgos down in that first round, but Burgos did a good job of working back up. And then after that, it was pretty—it was really hard for Maquan to get him back down. Burgos did a great job in terms of sprawling and then working out of those positions um, you know there was even a point in time where Burgos dropped Amir Khan he was in his guard for a little bit and stayed out of all the submissions and still landed big shots um, but I'm not trying to compare Makwon and Emmett to the fullest extent I believe that Emmett is a slightly stronger wrestler uh, I think he's stronger as well too um, so that could play a, a factor here if he's able to clinch uh, Burgos up against the cage he can make it a little bit uh, dirtier of a fight he could drag drag Burgos down and probably lay up on lay on top um but the the fact that we haven't seen that from Emmett's game as much recently and the fact that he has a 45 percent takedown success rate leads me to believe that you know as long as Burgos is able to Um, survive that first round he should be okay to you know um, stuff and and sprawl on takedowns uh, for the rest of the 10 minutes if this fight does end up going to 15 minutes but it's hard not to back Shane Burgos here he's uh, at the odds of minus 140 that's not bad odds either Um, you know it's not like a dog or pass situation at this point Shane Burgos has ridiculously good striking. And to have your only loss to Calvin Cater is not a bad thing. Um, you know, his his kicks are insane. Uh, his striking, he's able to change stances with ease. Um, he seems so confident in there too. And then when he just like puffs his chest and walks around like like with his arms kind of down and, and has that gorilla type of stance, uh, it's very intimidating for certain fighters, especially when he's able to get his shots off and uh, his confidence starts to grow. So... For me to to believe that Shane Burgos is uh, not going to win this fight, it would have to um, entail uh, Josh Hammond making this a clinch heavy fight, uh, grapple heavy fight, um, but it's hard for me to see him close that distance without eating big shots, and then slowly starting to lose confidence as the fight goes on. So uh, it's it's tough for me to not back Shane Burgos here. I, I like him in this spot. Um, I, I think he has a ton of potential still. This is a big fight for him. Um, it's kind of a spit in the face for him too, as a co-main event to not be put on the to to not be put on the poster. It's a a little, again, like I said, it's a spit in the face. Uh, Josh Edmett has headlined a card in the past, so they can't even say that, okay, neither of these guys are poster worthy. Um, You have a card coming up next weekend with uh, Mickey Gall and Mike Perry on the poster. That's... Again, another spit in the face. I just don't get it. It's it's not a good look, uh, especially when you have a guy that's very talented like Shane Burgos. And Burgos is very entertaining as a fighter as well, too. So you guys can easily push him. Um, you know, he goes out there always looking for the finish, always looking for those openings to, to get the finish. Um, and I like Burgos, man. Um, I'm going to take him to win this fight probably by second or third round TKO. Um, the under is probably a good spot here, too. I just want to see what that number is currently at. We got under two and a half at minus one thirty-seven. I don't mind that bet at all. Like I think if there is a bet to make here, it's probably that under three, uh, two and a half, because um, I could see Burgos finishing. But in case Josh Emmett lands that hammer, um, that that bet is also covered as well too. But um, in terms of picking a side, I'm gonna take Burgos here. I'll take him to win by second round TKO um, and to look amazing here. And and again, the sky's the limit for this kid. Uh, I wouldn't mind eventually seeing him against Cater again because that was a, a really good fight. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with Shane Burgos to win this fight by second round TKO. Uh, but the under two and a half is probably where you should lay your money. Alright, time for the main event. We got Curtis Razor Blades versus Alexander Volkov. We got minus 430 on Curtis Blades, plus 345 on Alexander Volkov. Um, let's start off with Curtis Blades. So, it's it's quite obvious. This guy is um, somebody that's going to be hovering around the top three-ish uh, of the heavyweight division because he has so much talent. Uh, a, a great um, wrestling game uh, holds records in terms of like most takedowns in a fight and he's really racking it up in terms of how many takedowns he's gotten in his UFC career uh, but once he gets the fight to the ground his ground and pound is absolutely ridiculous what he was able to do to Alistair um, Overeem was a thing of beauty um, but you know his his striking game is slowly starting to catch up with his wrestling game and we saw that in the Junior Dos Santos fight and I believe that that striking game isn't possible or the, the improvements of his striking game isn't possible uh, without that powerful wrestling game and even though he wasn't able to get Junior Dos Santos down in that fight the threat of the takedown the consistent threat of the takedown uh, really made Junior Dos Santos have to think about what's coming back his way which were really opened up the striking and the hands of Curtis Blades which eventually led to the finish of Junior Dos Santos um it's, it's unfortunate that uh, Curtis Blades has a Francis Ngannou to worry about. You know, I believe if uh, he doesn't get clipped by that big shot of Francis Ngannou, it could be a really, really long night for Francis. Um that's why I believe that Blades was the favorite going into that fight because you know outside of that one kill shot that Francis Ngannou has, and more often than not he lands it. You know besides the steep A fight and besides the uh, the Derek Lewis fights, you know Francis is always able to find the target and he just hits so fucking hard that it's just hard for people to to get out of the way. Um, and again, he has explosiveness and speed, which is which allows him to connect with that power and really make it tough for people. But um, you know without Francis Ngannou. Chris Blades is probably up there as number one contender. Uh, He's up there as, you know, a guy that could be fighting for the belt and actually be a legitimate champion. Um, I think if we matched him up against Stipe Miocic, Miocic would be in for a tough night. I think Curtis Blades would absolutely ragdoll him. Um, People can say what they want about, like, Stipe's uh, credentials and his resume and all that stuff. I'm just not the biggest believer in Stipe, you know. Stipe is kind of lucky uh, regarding the landscape of the heavyweight division. I'll give him the Francis Ngannou win in terms of being able to avoid that power or even eating the shots that he was able to eat and still charge forward and actually get the victory there. But I think Curtis Blades is just another level. We've seen him go uh, you know, the hard rounds that he needs to. Consistent takedowns, absolutely pummeling his opponents. Um, we've seen it all from Curtis Blades. It's just again Francis and So you got to find a way to continuously progress Curtis Blades, and it doesn't seem like he's taking steps forward because we already know he's a top three guy. We know he deserves a title shot. So you're kind of just kind of walking diagonally with Curtis Blades whenever you're matching people up against him. You know, um, let's just take in his resume real quick since coming into the UFC. First and foremost, gets that Francis Ngannou uh, loss via, you know, his eyes swelling up and not even being able to see. Then he had the Cody East fight, won that. Adam Milstead, I believe that was overturned because he tested positive for marijuana. Beats Daniel Omia-Lanchuk, uh, Alexio Linick Olenek, Mark Hunt. beautiful finish over uh, Alistair Overeem from elbows in the guard. Absolutely beautiful there. Uh, then runs into Francis and once again, 45 seconds into that fight, gets TKO'd. And then he comes back with Justin Willis, Shamil Abdurahimov, and then most recently Junior Dos Santos. And here he is now against um Alexander Volkov. Um you know, Drago uh, has had had a decent go in the UFC since making his Making his way over from Bellator and M1, uh, you know, started his stretch off with Tim G Johnson, Roy Nelson, Stefan Struve, Fabrizio Verdum. Uh, pretty much undefeated up until he ran into Derek Lewis. Uh, you know, he was 11 seconds away from coming away with the with the victory in that fight. I remember having volkov as a lock of the night play there and uh, obviously very very demoralizing seeing him get pummeled in that last 10 to 15 seconds uh and then he comes back um off a little bit of a layoff he was off for about a year and a month and then he steps in and fights greg hardy and just absolutely outpoints him pretty much styles on him greg, greg hardy is just far too green to fight a guy as weathered and as uh with as much veteran experience as alexander volkov but volkov is going up against a very tough test here against curtis blades now in terms of the wrestling i think blades is going to get him down with relative ease we saw for breach over doom get that takedown with again relative ease and Free breach over doom isn't the most uh credentialed wrestler and he doesn't really have the the greatest takedowns out there he kind of just rushes forward and tries to get takedowns um curtis blades on the other hand great takedowns great entries um he you know he his improvements in his hands and his power and his confidence in his hands too are only going to help his takedown games even more now so i think uh we'll see blades kind of play this fight on the feet a little bit um he doesn't really have to worry too much about uh knockout power or anything like that coming back from volkov i think volkov is more of a a duration and a, a repetitive consistent knockout artist in terms of you know he needs to land multiple shots to be able to finish an opponent it's not like a one punch knockout and he needs to worry about that um I think Blades will do a decent enough job eating whatever shots uh, Volkov initially throws at him, but I think that uh, Volkov will get him down early and often. Or sorry, I think Blades will get him down early and often. Uh, really work his top game. And at that minus four twenty five range, I I think he's probably worthy. You know, I personally I don't like to play straights or anything worse than minus three fifty. So if maybe Blades was roughly around that minus three hundred minus three fifty range, I would have played that. Um, not here though minus 425 a little bit too steep for me um but again i think he is definitely parlay worthy so if, if you have something else on the card that you're looking at uh he's definitely worth that shot in my opinion um yeah i think i think blades is just going to come through come in here and just run through volkov i love volkov i think he has a, a ton of potential but this is just a bad stylistic matchup for him especially from uh the lack of takedown defense we've seen from him in the past—it's hard for me not to believe that Curtis Blades will be able to get this fight down, uh, pretty much at will, uh, and then I could see him getting maybe a second round TKO via ground and pound, maybe even first round TKO uh, if Blades is able to land some beautiful elbows. The one thing that Blades will have to need to like kind of worry about is uh, Volkov is kind of length- lengthy, so just on the ground, be be wary of arm bars, be wary of triangles. Be wary of the dexterity and the flexibility of uh, Alexander Volkov. Other than that, I think Curtis Blades will be fine. Um, I'm not too worried about that, but I think that Blades is is a definitely solid spot and a good parlay piece for this card. So I'm going to take him to win by second round TKO. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely a good parlay piece if you want to juice up a different uh, a different fighter or something like that. So let's go with Blades via second round TKO. All right, that's UFC Vegas three. Um, you know, this is the second last card of the stretch that they're currently on. Then we get a weekend off for July 4th, and then we're back at it for that huge UFC 251, I think it is, or 252, 251 probably. Uh, Big card, there three title fights. I'm really looking forward to that. Then I believe we have July 11th, which is Saturday. Then we have July 15th, which is a Wednesday. Then July 18th again, which is a Saturday. So three fights in the span of seven or eight days, uh, which is really good. So I'm really going to, you know, take my time during this one uh, week off that we're going to have after the J- June 27th card and, and really um, pump out maybe a breakdown or two every day on my Patreon. Again, if you guys uh, follow the Patreon, I, drop all these breakdowns as soon as i finish recording them i drop them on the patreon so that you guys can dissect them asap and not have to worry about me putting out the full podcast um so there's that uh lastly before i get out of here the dog of the night challenge the registrations end on sunday so the day after uh this ufc vegas 3 event the dog of the night challenge registrations <laughs> Apologies, I had to get that yawn, and I was fighting it through this whole fucking breakdown. But regardless, uh, the Dog of the Night Challenge breakdown or, or, or deadline is actually the day after this UFC Vegas 3 event. Quick rundown of what the Dog of the Night uh, Challenge is. You pick for 10 events, uh, you, you pick one Dog of the Night, whether it's a, an underdog fighter or a plus money over under. Uh, there's no props, nothing like that. It has to be either a total or a money line bet. Um, you pick. For uh, 10 events, you pick one of them. Uh, for every event and whoever accumulates the most amount of profit at the end of the event uh, claims the prize we get obviously 65% paid out to first place 25% paid out to second place 10% paid out to third place Um, and yeah that's the entire pot I don't keep any of it I just give it out to to everybody if you guys buy it there's a $25 game and there's a $100 game this time around too so if you're interested uh, hit me up on Twitter at MMALOTN I'll be happy to take your uh, registrations there Um, and yeah at Lock of the Night Challenge, that's uh, going to be restarting after June 27th, uh, so I'll talk about that a little bit more on the next podcast, uh, but if you're interested in the Dog of the Night Challenge, hit me up and I'll be happy to sign you up, and you can go up against other guys that are, you know, that we had... Uh, 29 participants in the first edition of the dog and dog of the night challenge. I'm hoping to get that number to 35 or 40 for this second one, um, and then obviously a little bit more in the hundred dollar one too, because that should be fun. That it's for the sharps, man. If if you really want to make a name for yourself and you're on on Twitter and you're and you're you're one of these cappers, uh, you know. Making your name for yourself in the Dog of the Night Challenge is probably a really good thing. I promote these guys a lot, too. You know, uh, you'll see me on a weekly basis. If there's somebody that hits a big play or or whoever's in the top three, I, I tweet them out every week, so it's good exposure for you guys as well, too. So that's something that I'd like to to, to give in exchange as well for you guys to participate in this thing. All right, that's about it. Uh, I appreciate you guys joining me for the podcast. Make sure you guys check out the website, mmalotn.ca. I got my free picks play. Uh, p- posted on there so you guys can check that out and then obviously the best way to get in contact with me or follow along with what my thought process is and all that stuff is at mma lotn on twitter and then lastly um shout out to patreon as always make sure you guys check out my patreon i got a bunch of good perks there including early access to the breakdowns for these fights uh, everything that you need to know about it is in the description below so make sure you guys check that out and if you haven't already subscribe i'm close to that I'm, I'm getting inching closer and closer to my 1000 subscriber mark before the end of the summer um hit that 900 mark a couple weeks ago trying to continue that 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 snowball and just get over to that 1000 mark uh before the end of the summer so again if you haven't subscribed please subscribe it helps your boy out a ton that's the least you guys can do for all these this content i keep putting out for you guys all right that's it i'm gonna shut the fuck up uh good luck on your bets this weekend and i'll see you guys next week